You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here not with my usual co-host, Adam Hawkins, but instead with our gifted producer, Mr. David Roark. And we are going to be joined today in studio by Senator James Lankford. He's a senator from Oklahoma, a gifted man who used to be in ministry full-time and is now in politics full-time. And just as a disclaimer off the top, although Senator Lankford is a Republican, we are not uh, choosing one side or the other in the everlasting political debate of America, but rather we thought Senator Lankford would have a unique uh, perspective, having come from a Baptist ministry to the Senate floor. And so we'll be talking today about politics and how Christians can think about and be faithful in that area. Senator James Langford, he's a United States Senator from Oklahoma. He's a member of the Republican Party, served as the U.S. Representative for Oklahoma's 5th Congressional District from 2011 to 2015. Before getting into politics, and I think this is fascinating and probably where we're going to start, Senator Langford was in full-time ministry working at the Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma. Used to work at Falls Creek Camp, and I don't know if you remember him, but David, who's with us today. I don't think he remembers me. (laughs) (laughs) David remembers you from your Falls Creek days as the guy giving the introductions. I I remember waking up really early as a middle schooler, and you were on that stage, and you were trying to get kids woke up and excited about the day, (laughs) telling us the rules and most of the kids pretty probably much just weren't like paying Congress. much attention at that point. It's pretty much Congress it works is. pretty much the same way, it, right? It, yeah, I would tell you, working with 5,000 teenagers a week prepared me well for Congress. <laughs> That's great. Well, uh, his wife, Cindy, and their two daughters, Hannah and Jordan, they live in Edmond, Oklahoma. Senator Lankford, we're so grateful you're here today. Thank you. Yeah, so Glad to be able to be in the conversation. Let's start with your story. You get into politics. You were in ministry. Talk about that journey for for us. A lot of the people who listen to our show might be pastors, ministers, and tell them maybe why they should consider it one day or why they shouldn't. But we can start with your story. Like, well, how I, did I that would, happen? I would say th- this was not something I expected. This was not a, a life goal for Cindy and I to say, let's get married, let's have t- two kids and go into politics one day. Uh, this was completely off the radar for us. Um, in fact, my wife calls this life's greatest interruption for us. <laughs> we were 22 years in, in ministry, working with students, middle school, high school, college age students. When you direct the Falls Creek Camp, it's a phenomenal place for ministry. Yeah, uh, we loved doing that, and had done that for 15 years, and assumed that's what we we're always going to do. Uh, but in the spring, summer, and fall of 2008, every time I sat down to have my own quiet time, every time Cindy was sitting down to have a worship time, every church service we ran, whatever it may be, we heard God say one thing to us, get ready. Really? And that's all we would hear, is, is every verse was just screaming, get ready, get ready, get ready, which is pretty exciting for about a month. <laughs> and then after a while, it's not exciting, <laughs> it's nerve-wracking to say, God, what are we getting ready for? What are, you, what are you trying to prepare us for? But it was just this constant sense of get ready. And in September of 2008, God spoke very clearly separately to Cindy and I to say, you're supposed to run for Congress. Now, it was not something I said, that's exciting. Instead, I said, that's not even possible. That's not even <laughs> rational. Uh, but we determined, all right, we're going to pray about this for a month. I really thought that this is going to be an Abraham, Isaac, and the ram kind of deal where God's going to say, be faithful, pray this through. At the end of it, I'll give you a ram. You don't have to kill your career. <laughs> but it wasn't. After a month, he just said, come follow me. That's awesome. And uh, we struggled through that for about seven months. And at the end of seven months, finally came to the point to say, I'm not following you, not because I can't figure this out is because I don't trust you that this is really what you're calling me to. But but he was clear, and uh, he interrupted our life. 
So before that, I'm just curious, you know, had, did you have any political experience? Had you, were you interested in politics? Was that something that you thought through, had maybe, a lot of conversations maybe about? Maybe voice acting. Maybe. No, no. So I had, I, had, uh, I had been in speech and debate from the time I was in the fourth grade. So I was the nerdy kid that actually read the newspaper and stayed engaged on current events, but no politics, not even running for student council. I'm getting nothing on that. Uh, I, we had attended, I think, one town hall meeting from the congressman that was in our area. Uh, but there, there was really nothing in us that would say, this is what you're going to do. I, I, in fact, I don't know of anyone that says, if you want to serve in the United States Senate, you should be a youth pastor first. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just don't hear that from anyone. Yeah. Uh, so for us, we were doing what we felt like we were called to do. Yeah. And uh, I have always said to students, God doesn't call you to a vocation. He calls you to himself. Yeah. So if, you're, if your passion is your vocation, you're missing it. He says, come follow me. He then directs us to the vocation. This is just not where we expected him to take us. Well, is it difficult being a Christian, being in Congress? I, I could go on and on about my impression of what happens in Congress. I have no real idea. But for you, is it difficult to balance what you've come from, what you believe, and what you have to see day in and day out? No, honestly, going to Congress is just yeah. like going to college. Uh, when you leave and go to college and you leave out from high school and head to a new place, you can be whatever you want to be. All the options are in front of you. And Congress is the exact same way. If you want to go hang out with the lobbyists and go drink and to go do all that kind of stuff, it's all there as an option. If you <laughs> want to be able to be engaged as a believer and to be engaged in the community, you can do that. If you want to just check out and do nothing, there are opportunities to do that, and some people do that. So whatever you choose to do, you can go do. But there's no one trying to press you into their own place. You're going to pick it. So That's I, I think about like I think when people Christians especially think about politics, they think about things like compromises. They think about complexities, being political, you know, if you will, because there there's an aspect of that. So what is what has that been like as a Christian? Because I I would think that there. That would be very challenging, so very I come, difficult. I come from a Christian worldview is the lens that I look through, and, and everyone can say, I don't really have any biases or anything else. That's not true. Uh, you're going to have your own perspective from your family, from your background and your perspective. I come with a Christian worldview, and I admit that. But that also means I see people, even people I disagree with, as a person creating the image of God, and they have value and worth. And though they're wrong on an issue, clearly I'm right, they're wrong. <laughs> I'm going I'm to treat them with respect in the dialogue and try to bring facts to the argument and try to be able to work to be able to convince them of where I'm coming from on it. But I'm also going to listen to where they are on it to make sure that I'm hearing it. Uh, one of my favorite George Will quotes out there is that truth is not responsible for its owner, mm. uh, which I find fascinating just to be able to think through. There, there are occasionally people that say things that I don't agree with them on a hundred other things, but that one, you know what, they're right on. So I want to choose to be able to listen and to be able to treat people with respect in it. I understand not all politics is done that way, but I do think it can be done that way and to be able to be done right. So how, is, how does your faith then inform the decision-making process when you're in Congress? Is it when, when something uh, morally neutral comes across your desk, is that, or is it every single decision? Do you feel like, man, this is prayed over, we can have confidence that a man of faith is meeting with other guys that disagree? How well, is that? Obviously, a lot of decisions are tough. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Bible doesn't speak to every single issue that we vote on right. uh, in the Senate and the House. I mean, it just doesn't happen. So you have to be able to look at the facts on the ground, what's the best way to be able to accomplish this, look at the biblical principles. Uh, I try to repeat back to a lot of my colleagues that we should live and breathe in the book of Proverbs. 
Proverbs was uh, is is great for anybody, but especially for political leaders because it was written to a political leader, yeah. passing it on to the next generation of political leaders, saying if you want to be a good leader and pass on a godly heritage to the nation, live these principles. So there's some basic principles for wisdom that are in there that I think we should be able to apply to a lot of the decisions that we do, like decisions about debt. Uh, there's lots of the Proverbs that deal with debt. As a nation deals with the debt, we need to be able to apply those principles to it. Uh, as we deal with respecting other people, as we deal with being quiet and listening rather than trying to speak all the time, those are biblical principles uh, that you can practice. And whether the person I'm interacting with knows their biblical principle or not, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's still true. Yeah. Uh, and I get a chance to be able to apply those issues. And, and quite frankly, I don't know an area where the Bible and the Constitution disagree. And so where some people can say, how can you be a Christian and be in this secular position? I say, well, that would apply to every job in the country. Every job ultimately is a secular position. It has things that are just basic things to do. Even a pastor has to do business operations in the church and things that just have to be done, just the normal operations of the, of the business part of it. Those are ultimately secular types tasks, but you're doing it from a biblical worldview and trying to honor God in it. So now having been in Congress for a little while, for some years, where do you personally, you would like to see our government grow, the Republican Party grow in what direction? Where do you feel like we're lacking, they're lacking to say, this is where I want it, this is where I want it to go from here? Uh, ultimately, we have a responsibility uh, in government to try to be able to do what we can to be able to improve the nation and to be able to pass on what's better to the next generation. That's not happening right now. Mm. There are a lot of decisions that are being put off, and they've been put off, some of them, for decades, whether that be immigration, whether that be debt, whether it be education decisions. It just transportation. And put off because it's easier to it, say, it, let the next guy handle it? Correct, because some things are politically difficult. They're going to be noisy. Uh, lots of people are going to start screaming one way or the other. And so it's always easier to do less because fewer people scream it when you do nothing <laughs> than when you do something. And as soon as you start doing something, everybody starts yelling about it. And so Congress has become risk averse and they're just backing up and doing less and less and less. We've got to be able to help lean in and not say what we're against, but what we're for, and then go do it. Yeah. And I know that there'll be consequences and I know some people will like it and not like it, but the nation is waiting for us to solve some of these to issues, lead. not to talk about these issues. Yeah. Yeah. As a Christian, I'm just curious, um, stepping into this role, stepping into politics, what are some of the issues that for you have been on the forefront, things that you really, you know, are passionate about making a difference with, you know, with this position of leadership? Yeah, let me take just a little bit of a step back and sure. put some context to it. Uh, that is, there are so many people that say, can Christians really be involved in the political world? It's such a dark place on it. Uh, I, I would say, gosh, it'd be shocking for God to send light to dark places. That seems very <laughs> different than his character. But uh, so, so somewhat that seems obvious to be able to do that. But it's also, there's so many biblical principles there. 37 of the 39 books in the Old Testament were written to, by, or for a political leader. And we lose track of that how God was very interested in what was happening in the nation of Israel and was speaking to political leaders, challenging them. When you go to the New Testament, a third of the New Testament, the book of Acts and the book of Luke, Luke, I'll get it right eventually. <laughs> I've read it. I promise I know how to say it. Uh, Acts and Luke, a third of the New Testament were written to a political leader. The calling for Paul, when he struck blind on the, on the road to Damascus, his calling there when he was then gets his sight back was he'll be a representative to the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Gentile kings. And then you see the rest of the book of Acts, that over and over and over again, trying to get to political leaders. So I start with this perspective that God does care about this. 
He is mm-hmm. passionate about this. And so what way do you apply it? Debt is a big issue. Uh, throughout Scripture, uh, you see the principles of debt and what happens to nations as they fall into debt. Book of Nehemiah is a great example. We know it from the rebuilding of the wall, but that happens in the first three chapters. The rest of the book of Nehemiah is in getting the nation out of debt. Uh, that's a big issue. Life issues, uh, whether it be pro-life issues and abortion, that's an ongoing conversation that we need to have as a nation. The value that God places on every single individual and the dignity of that individual. So lots of issues that we can go through. Some are obvious, some are not as obvious, but all of them I think God has a has a concern for because he loves people. Yeah, can I talk about the life issue for just a second? <clears throat> Excuse me. The uh First exposure I had to you was the video that uh, that had a you know million views or whatever it was of you speaking on the floor about the life issue and then I'm sure you don't remember this but you and I and a couple pastors had breakfast in January around the March for Life sure. and we were talking about uh, what was coming up in Congress what you thought the votes would go and what's happening and some of that is happening right now so can you just speak about what is the tenor about that in the room in Congress and where are we going from here on the life issue so when you talk about life issues uh, that the context of that to begin with on that is the abortion debate didn't begin in Congress. It began in the courts. Right. And a lot of people say, well, we'll have a bunch of votes in Congress and overturn all this. That's a court issue first. Mm-hmm. So the battle is, how do you get this resolved where it doesn't get fought out in the courts? So we're trying to take this layer by layer. One is to make sure states can make decisions that they choose to be able to make. So for instance, we changed the regulation this year. Uh, at the end of the last administration, they required every state to use Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. uh, as a part of any grant that comes in for family planning issues. They had to use that one vendor on that. We flipped that and said, no, let's give that back to the states and allow them to be able to choose whether they want to be able to do that. They don't have to do that again. That vote was successful, passed, signed into law, and done. So that that's one piece that's done. We're currently in the debate on something about the, what, what some people call the 20-week abortion issue. Mm-hmm. It's really a five-month piece. Uh, There are 198 countries in the world that do not allow an elective abortion after five months of pregnancy. We're one of seven countries in the world that still allow that. Now, just let that soak in. One of seven countries in the world. We're in an elite group with, like, Vietnam and North Korea and China that still allow abortion, elective abortions, after five months. So we're trying to raise that issue and to say— we may have strong disagreements on the life issue. We should at least settle that a viable child at 21, 22 weeks old should be brought to term. Uh, unless there's some major issue for the health of the mom, we should be able to do that. That's where 198 other countries are. Uh, so let's get that resolved. We're, that's already passed the House. The debate will start on that in the Senate in the next few months. We'll try to bring that issue up. Now, hopefully we can pass that. Uh, If not, we would at least set it in front of the American people and say, let's talk about this as a nation. Where are we? Are we in the club with Vietnam and with North Korea? Are we in the club with the the UK and Germany and France and Brazil and Mexico and so many other countries that have said not after five months? We're not going to do that. Wow. So David and I were actually having a conversation before you got here today just about politics and how we're feeling right now. And you can imagine the the kind of culture of politics. And obviously our show is about culture and how Christians think about it. And it's a, it's a different time. And David, I think you said this really well. You had a question that you were hoping to be able to ask. Can you share that? I <laughs> yeah, a lot of so pressure. Good. Now you got to repeat yeah, yeah. it. Exactly it's a, it's, a, it's an honest question, you know, um, for you being a part of the Republican Party. You know, I just, I wanted to ask you know, as a Christian, I feel somewhat alienated right now by both parties. And I think 
one of the issues that I feel alienated around is the issue of life as we were just talking about is because, you know, growing up, I think, you know, you think, oh, you're, you're a conservative, you're a part of the Republican party because of this issue of abortion. But right. I think that my eyes have been opened even more so in recent years of life is, 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 is a bad abortion. That's a big, big, big part of it. And we're talking about millions and millions of lives with that right. issue, but it, it it's also, you know, racial injustice. It's also immigration. It's also, you could argue healthcare to some extent, you know, there's a, there's a whole other conversation that we could have there. So I guess just the question would be, how would you speak to someone like me who, who feels somewhat alienated as a member of the Republican party? Right. How would you encourage me to sort of like to the Christian, <laughs> to the Christian is going like, I don't feel like I'm a Republican. I don't feel like I'm a Democrat. I feel like both of them are, are espousing some kind of worldview that I'm not there. What do you say to that guy? Yeah, so I, I, I start with the beginning point is to have a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. not only when you interact with other people, but when you vote and when you actually work through the process of making your own decisions. Uh, we, have, we have become a culture that we look at things and say people that myself and the people that think like me are all working this out. Everyone else is an idiot. Hmm. And that caustic culture is continuing to drive us and to be able to push us in every direction and to say, because they don't tolerate the way that I do or love the way that I do or think the way that I do, they're over there in that group. Other. That is pushing us farther and farther apart and it's mm-hmm. stopping us. And what's become interesting is even the labels, Republican, Democrat, uh, there's a big push to be able to say, okay, well, if they're going to put a label on, then they're one of those mm-hmm. uh, because I'm not willing to put a label on. So I'm better because I don't have a label. They have a label. And so they're one of those. We're, we're, we're driving this big circular argument, and it's a big challenge for us. So I start with the basic principle of why not have a Christian worldview and a biblical worldview and to admit it and say that's where I'm coming from. And though you may affiliate with one party or another, that's my beginning point, and that's the lens because it's the core of who I am. And then let's see what we can value life. So, for instance, uh, you'd mentioned things about uh, racial injustice and such. Yeah, uh, I started something called Solution Sundays about a year and a half ago, challenging individuals in a, with a simple question. That is, have you ever had someone from another race in your home for dinner? Has your family ever invited a family of, an, of another race to your home for dinner so that your kids see kids of another race around your dinner table having normal conversation? And I'm not talking about a structured conversation with a card <laughs> and you're going to read through all these questions together. Sure. I'm talking just normal. Yeah. And so many people that I've had that conversation with will say to me, well, I, I have friends of another race. I'm like, right. well, that's not what I asked. Right. Have they ever been in your home? Because I really think a lot of the racial injustice and the issues that we face are not a legislative issue. They're a family issue and mm-hmm. they're heart issues. And until we can actually be in each other's homes yeah. and develop that kind of relationship, we're not going to break those barriers. There's not one more law that we can pass to do it. So I spend a lot of time talking on that issue, quite frankly, how to be able to talk about it, because it's the value of people that look different than you or talk different than when you. When I, why can't we just get a chance to be able to have the opportunity to be able to connect on it as well? Those conversations are happening, but it's very simple in our culture to say, if you're not talking about what I'm talking about right now, you're one of them, and I've yeah. got to go find somebody that just thinks like me, talks like me. That's an interesting segue to what I want to talk about next, which is this idea of what can the person, just the average individual do. So if I'm a Christian and... Uh, m- my impression of a lot of us at our church is the political involvement is uh, really voting every four years on president, reading the news, and having an opinion. And everyone gets so passionate that time of year. You know, yeah. they're like, "You're not, 
you're not into politics. You're not right. gonna, right. you know, o- obey what the Bible says and, and, be right, a good, yeah. and be a good citizen. And it, it's, but it's that one thing. But you right? bring up one other election, and they're like, <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just president. But how does the how does the Christian get involved in politics without becoming a politician? Oh, lots of ways. Obviously, the, most of the dialogue that happens and the votes that actually occur really is a thousands of millions of, quite frankly, in our nation of conversations that are happening around dinner tables mm-hmm. that then drive that conversation up. People think that kind of stuff doesn't matter. It does mm. because that dialogue begins to move family to family and place to place. I do encourage people, uh, even in the church and around the church, to be involved in the political conversation as well, whether that be a school board, which a lot of people overlook, but it's an enormous part of what happens in our culture, Uh, whether it be a school board, city council, county commissioners, uh, all of your locally elected individuals, or your national and state leaders as well. There's every reason to be a part of that. So let me give you a couple practical ideas with it. If you're a pastor and you have an elected official in your church, mentor that person. Help them maintain a worldview. You're not telling them how to vote. You're helping them keep a biblical context so when they're making decisions, they can. Most elected officials do not have a safe person to be able to talk to. In fact, the running joke in D.C. is if you want a friend, get a dog uh, because (laughs) you're not going to have a safe person to be able to talk to. Your pastor is that safe person, so use the opportunity. Would God put that elected official in your church? Mentor them and help them. For individuals that want to be engaged in campaigns or to be able to volunteer or to be able to share ideas, write letters, make phone calls, do it. Other organizations get engaged and do that kind of stuff all the time. And when the church says, I'm going to be involved in missions, but I'm going to ignore government, you're ignoring a part of what our culture is. And if you leave our culture and what happens in government only to people that are not in the church, we're abdicating part of our society to people that aren't looking at things from a biblical worldview. So we're missing out in that part of it. So it's, it's a, there are practical ways to be able to get engaged find one of those and actually get engaged and don't just say that's dirty because that's politics. Sure. Because God cares about people and politics is really about people. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we conclude, let's talk about you personally then. Somebody's listening to this and they want to know, how do I pray for you? How do I pray for Cindy? How do I pray for your girls? How do I pray for what you hope for our country? What are those things that we can be, you can ask us to participate yeah. in asking the Lord for you? For yeah, us? thanks. I appreciate that. Uh, definitely praying for families, for any elected official. Uh, There's a lot of stress and pressure because everybody in the world has an opinion, and when they see you, they're going to express it. Mm -hmm. And so everywhere that you go with your family, there's always people grabbing you all the time. When you're trying to have a conversation with family, those conversations are interrupting. So praying for that, Uh, just the the tension of that constant bombardment that the entire family experiences. Second part of it is is discernment. Uh, In a role like what I have in the United States Senate, there are a million things that need to be done at any moment. You can't do a million things. You can do a few. So you've mm-hmm. got to have discernment to say, that's noisy, but that's not what we need to do. We've got to be focused on this right now. And whether that's on the staff uh, or whether that's for myself, uh, we all have to be able to stay focused on the things that have to be done and to be able to finish those to completion. Uh, the media will constantly catch you in the hallway when you're in the Capitol. And every news story of the day, they'll bombard every media, uh, every member, and they'll say, this is the news of the day. What are you going to do about this today? realizing yesterday they had a different thing. What are you going to do about this today? (laughs) And they're really looking for a quote. Obviously, they've got to get a job. job. They're just trying to get a quote. But it constantly is driving you towards distraction from, oh, I was working on this. You're right. I need to work on this. And so I don't look like I'm saying to a media person, I'm doing nothing on that. Uh, But really, that's not my job. This is. I'm going to work work on this thing. Uh, So that discernment to be able to say what to yes to and what to no. 
Okay, awesome. Senator Langford, thank you so much for giving us your time yeah, today. Thank you so much. Thank you for your insight and thank you for your work on Capitol Hill. I really appreciate it. It's great to know there's a man who is seeking the wisdom of the Lord before he is offering it to the people in a position like you're in. So I thank appreciate you so that. Much. There, there, are, there are multiple others that are there, and I tell people not to be able to give up hope. When the church steps out and writes off what's happening in government, they're doing what God has not done. Mm-hmm. He's not written all of that off. Uh, and so I encourage people to be able to lean in, stay engaged, and understand that God has not written this off. We most certainly shouldn't write it off. And I always push people back to First Peter chapter 2. We all know the verse, living as aliens and strangers yeah. in this world, live such good lives that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds on the day that he visits us. Yeah. But we forget the very next verse after that where Peter is writing to them and saying, live a good life, demonstrate the impact of the gospel on your life. The very next verse is honor authority. Mm-hmm. And we somehow disconnect those two. Mm-hmm. Peter's writing to them and saying, if you want to stick out and be able to present God to a culture that doesn't know God, do something no one else does, honor authority. And when the church sounds like the world, when we relate to politics, mm-hmm. we're not going to stand out. We'll blend in instead of sticking out. Mm-hmm. We should hold people to account, but we should be able to articulate the issues in a way that's different than how anyone else does it. We shouldn't sound like a news channel we should sound like how God views these issues and bring some additional light to the culture. Uh, that's what we're really supposed to be about. And so drive it. Keep going. Uh, do it the right way. Well, praise God for that and praise God for you. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time today. And Thanks. I hope that your time today blessed you. It certainly blessed us. So thank well, you. Glad to be a part of it. Thanks, guys. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website at tbcresources.net. On our next episode, we'll be sitting down with Jackie Hill Perry to talk about hip-hop, art, and its influence on our culture. So we'll see you next time, and God bless.